Entering the Freedom Hut. Three big lies that the district attorney told you about Officer Rolf. Will anarchists cause mayhem at the Trump rally in Tulsa? Dr. Fauci says no second lockdown needed. Facebook pulls Trump ads for being hateful. Fired for a Halloween costume two years ago. And is a rope on a tree a hate crime? That and more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Buck Sexton Show, everyone. We have... A jam-packed Friday for you. Thank you for being here. As always, an honor and a privilege to have you with me in what we call the Freedom Hut. Uh, this was stunning for me, at least yesterday. I'm, I'm surprised that this is not getting a whole lot more media coverage. Uh, we will discuss the upcoming rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma this weekend, and how there's a belief that there could be massive protests, riots. Remember, no one cares about protests no one's worried about protests. This is just a question of whether there'll be a lot of folks who try to break the law. If people want to gather, if 100,000 crazy libs want to show up outside a Trump rally and hold up their signs and yell their stupid stuff about Russia collusion or, you know, Trump lied, babies died or whatever it is, right? Whatever, you know, whose streets, our streets, whatever shouted idiocy will make them feel better about themselves. That's fine. I don't care. Trump doesn't care either. What he does care about, what everyone should care about is, are they breaking the law? Are they trying to use violence and the threat of violence to silence speech? Remember, one part of what's going on all across the country, and I think Republicans are waking up to the reality, and I mean powerful, elected Republicans, are waking up to the reality that they have been feeding the woke mob as though it were the crocodile that they were hoping would eat them last. And it turns out, there's nobody else in the pond now. It's just the woke mob versus the rest of American society. Which team are you on? There's no middle ground. No, there's no concessions to make. There's no getting them to be reasonable. So I do think that there's been a, a wake-up call that has finally been answered, uh, or at least is in the process of being answered with all of this. But we also have to remember that the acts of violence from the BLM movement— the acts of violence, the arson, the looting and all of this and just the mob mentality on display that you will be shouted down. that They will shout epithets and slurs and viciousness at police officers. That's all meant as intimidation. The same reason that, you know, that, that I can't go down to a rally with a Trump hat on and be physically safe. We all know that I would be attacked and they would say that I was provoking it or something. So. There's always this looming threat of mob violence from these crowds because there has been violence from the crowds. They would say, oh, what about the Tea Party? Tea Party was peaceful. A perfect record of peacefulness at Tea Party rallies. And they were huge and they were across the country and it was a movement. Why would we excuse the mayhem, the looting, the arson, the assaults going on right now? Well, clearly we should not. We shouldn't excuse those things. We should, in fact, highlight them. We should make the left accountable for what they've done. But they do this on purpose. These rallies, these protests aren't just meant to shape the culture and the conversation. There's always an implied threat behind this. 
It's never just, is the left going to protest? It's, is the left going to protest and some faction thereof hit people with bricks, break windows, destroy things? Every time. Every time. That has its own power. These are the radicals from within the movement. They are not expelled by the movement. They are the vanguard. They are the shock troops of the left. They're the shock troops of the Democrat Party. That's what Antifa and the most radical BLM protesters who turn into rioters and looters, that is the purpose they serve. That is their role in all of this. So the peaceful or mostly peaceful protesters have a symbiotic relationship now with those who destroy, with those who threaten. That's why we have to get ready for this every time. You notice we don't do this. Conservatives, Republicans, we don't show up at, you know, Joe Biden protests and threaten to destroy everything. Or sorry, Joe Biden rallies rather and threaten to destroy everything and act like a bunch of maniacs. There's no parody here. There's no a pox on both houses. There's no this is a both sides. What about situation? No. So as we go into this weekend in uh, Tulsa, where I'm hoping this will be the turning of the tide, that all of a sudden the Trump movement will awaken from what feels like an extended somnambulance. I think the Trump movement is about to awaken, and I'm very, very pleased. Well, I will be very pleased if, in fact, that's the case. I'll return to this anarchist plans at the Trump rally and also that the Trump campaign has had ads taken down off of Facebook. That was a very interesting, interesting story that hit the wires, so to speak, yesterday. But I think the most important, if we're really just looking at the news cycle right now, other than the big political movement stuff that I was just discussing with you, I think the the biggest bombshell of the last 24 hours is that we were told a lot of things by now. Now, let, let's shift our focus to Fulton County, Atlanta area, where we have these two police officers, Officer Rolf, Officer Brosnan, who are charged with with crimes. Officer Rolf facing a possible death penalty statute. This was an outrage a grotesque injustice, merely just the, the way that the press conference was run and the decisions made with the charges. This was an abomination. But we already have information that this has not gotten nearly the play that it should. No, no one seems as interested in this. And I'll walk you through why I think that is. Uh, yesterday on MSNBC and, you know, wh- whoever thought that it was a good idea for one of these cops to go on MSNBC. I mean, this lawyer does not understand the political and media environment at all. Before we even get into this interview, where there were three major, major revelations that are assertions that essentially the district attorney lied to the American people. That this district attorney in Fulton County... um, was not telling the truth. Paul Howard was lying to the American people. Well, but before we get to that, MSNBC, I mean, they went to Katie Turr, who is in in no realm impressive at anything, but, you know, does her job at MSNBC and the executives are like her and whatever. Now we're supposed to listen to her. Doesn't know anything about anything. Uh, But she's already on a team here. She's on team BLM and destroy these two cops. That's been decided. There's no room at MSNBC for, hold on a second, let's give these cops a fair trial. Let's give them some actual due process in the pursuit of justice. No. 
That's that's not what MSNBC is going for. That's not the plan. That's, it's bizarre to me that anybody could miss this. CNN and, MS, CNN and MSNBC are actively trying to brainwash the public to be a tainted jury pool against both of these officers. Remember, they both face criminal charges. This officer Brosnan's facing a criminal charge because they say that he kicked the guy. Well, that that comes into question here, too. But I just want to put you through some of this interview because it's so illuminating. It's so illuminating when here a a so-called TV journo has an opportunity to bring real information to the public, to tell people things that they should know, because this is the uh, biggest national news story this. Well, maybe the Supreme Court cases, but this is one of the biggest national news stories this week. It's gotten a tremendous amount of attention. A man's life, a police officer's life truly hangs in the balance. It's not just, oh, he'll have a bad life. He might not have a life if the mob left gets their way here. And I want to take you through some aspects of this interview, things that you need to know, you need to hear, because here is what comes across. MSNBC is an activist, might as well be the official channel along with CNN. They could both be the official channels of the BLM movement. And you are seeing that activism play out. They have picked sides. They do not want the truth. They are not looking for honesty. And I will show you. I will prove it to you with their own words. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That you are being hit with the assault charge because you stood on Mr. Brooks's shoulder while he lay dying. If you look at the video, for as Officer Broston approaches and Officer Rolf is already there, he doesn't even know that, Officer, that, that Mr. Brooks has been shot at first. He doesn't even realize that first, Devin. And he, and he goes up there and he's trying to figure out, is this scene secure? Is it safe? He knows that his taser has been taken from him. You can't see any blood at that point to be overly graphic here. So he puts his he puts his foot and he told the DA this. He puts his foot, he thought on his hand or on his arm to make sure he couldn't get a weapon because he didn't know what the situation was. So literally for a matter of seconds, seconds, he puts his foot on his arm to make sure he can't grab a weapon. Then he realizes what's going on. He can see his taser is off to the side because it's got a flashlight on it and he can see the taser. So he gets up and he, Officer Brosnan goes and gets the taser, puts it in his holster. Other officers are now arriving within 50 seconds. And Officer Rolf runs and gets his first aid kit. He was not standing on his shoulders. This, this description by the DA is completely belied by the video if you look at it. It's all on video. It's all on video. And the district attorney just kind of exaggerates this and makes it look like some terrible event where he's standing on his shoulders it is preposterous, and it is not true. And, it, and all you got to do is look at the video, and um, it'll show that he Two didn't minutes. do anything like that. And 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 they charge him with aggravated assault for that. Two minutes is quite two a minutes. long time. It's not. It's um, not two somebody minutes. isn't. The DA is saying it's two minutes. Oh, okay. No, no. Can I? I know that was a long clip, but but I wanted to hear that was the lawyer for Officer Brosnan, and. This uh, Katie Turr, who really, 
I, you know, I, I look. I don't want to be mean, but I have no idea. I don't know if her, her uncle is like one of the you know senior execs over at MSNBC or something. I, I don't know. I'm just I can't imagine they think this is the person that should be handling this interview for any reason. Um, but I, I do want to just point out that she's given two bombshell pieces of information here that and she's not being asked to take the word of this lawyer who clearly has a vested interest in his client and a narrative. We get that. But two bombshell pieces of information. One, that the uh, the representation of Officer Brosnan standing on the shoulder of and I believe they also said kicked, but the representation of standing on the shoulder of in some kind of you know, trophy pose, which was really what was being implied by the D.A., like, ha we got this guy. Horrific that that was completely untrue. The video shows it's untrue. Everyone has access to the video and that the, the statement the D.A. made that it didn't take two minutes to get him made. It took 50 seconds, which when you're trying to secure the situation, understand if you're still under threat, you've got endorphin, you know, blasting out of your, your eye sockets. Okay, your heart's pumping a million beats a minute. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Within 50 seconds, you've got cops coming in and they're, they're giving this guy. And one of the officers is giving him CPR and saying, you know, keep breathing for me. Keep breathing. We're trying to keep this guy alive. And that was left out of the DA's press conference. That little bit of information, which would have shattered the narrative. The DA was trying to make this sound like it was a lynching by two white cops. That's what the D.A. was doing. That's why he used the language he did. That's why he talked about standing on the shoulders and not and having weird thoughts after they had shot him. Oh, what were those weird thoughts supposed to be? That's what was happening. Katie Turr is being handed a really, really worthwhile interview here. And notice how she sounds like the prosecution. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. The D.A. says, check the tape, Katie. You don't think this is interesting? And he's wrong. As somebody is is believe, he's wrong. He's wrong. Look at it the video. Less time to call. It looks like less. He's wrong. Yeah, like the DA would ever be wrong. Yeah, I think this DA is clearly wrong, and anyone should be very suspect about a DA who's under investigation for corruption and harassment in a tight runoff primary to keep his job with tremendous pressure on him from the African American community and the entirety of the Democratic Party to. Bring, you know, the, the full brimstone and fire of hell upon this cop, no matter what the evidence is, a tremendous amount of pressure. And we're, we're supposed to take their word for it. And we're supposed to take the word of the prosecutors here for, and, and not listen to the defense attorney. It's time to call. Look at the videotape. There's a videotape that shows with the timestamp. What is your impression what was your impression of Mr. Brooks um, before the before the scuffle, before the, the... This is so important. Okay, so we've already had two major... And she, she looks like, ugh. Just like the DA clearly already told us all the true stuff, and you're totally lying. It's all on video. You don't have to take anyone's word for it. You should say, sir, we're going to go back and check that. Can we have you back on once we've checked to see what the video shows? Because the video is over 40 minutes long. What, what, can we? We'll have you back on. We'll fact check you on that. But tell us more. Give us more information. How long did it take? Who did he call? That's what a journalist would do. But she's not a journalist. 
She is a BLM activist with a news platform. Just like everybody else at MSNBC, CNN, the rest of the mainstream media, the New York Times, you name it. That's what's happening here. Notice as well how she, when she gets those two very, and there's a third one coming, two very critical pieces of information that he didn't just stand on his shoulders in some kind of uh, bizarre celebratory pose, and you can see in the video, and that it didn't take two minutes to get him any aid. It took more like 50 seconds, less than half the time. You would think that there would be follow-up questions. Notice how she goes, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, this is not what we want, and transitions to what? A completely irrelevant line of questioning meant to bolster the BS politicized press conference that the Fulton County DA gave. What was what was Brooks like before before the little thing about him trying to rescue the ground, take your taser, shoot you with it and perhaps, you know, and oh, and punch you in the face. You did that, too. But before that, tell us how tell us how uh, gentlemanly he was. Tell us what a great guy uh, Rayshard Brooks was before he wrestled you and your partner to the ground, took your taser, shot you with it, punched you in the head. Tell us how great he was. Now, she's not clever enough to understand what happened. She's just doing what she's been programmed, meaning the news anchor here, Ms. Turr, programmed to do, which is give this audience what they want. Brooks good, cops bad. Brooks good, cops bad. That's all that matters. And then, you know, you, you would sit here and say, for, for just forget about even professional integrity, for the clicks, for the, you know, because I don't think any of these journalists have that either, but for the clicks, for the notoriety, don't you want to take this interview and make it something that really blows up and gets attention? I'm giving it all this attention because, one, the information is important, not that she was eliciting it, but that the defense attorney is saying the DA is lying, and two... You're getting a clinic here on the propaganda mill that is MSNBC and how they do things. What do they sort of, oh, you're saying the DA is lying. Let's talk about how great Brooks is as a guy before he tries to do that thing that was a little bit rough. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got a little more of this interview that I, I want to share with you. This is from... A sit down on MSNBC with the lawyer for Officer Brosnan, who has the lesser charge, but still criminally charged here in the shooting of Rayshard Brooks. Uh, You have the lawyer, you have Officer Brosnan and you have Katie Turr. And then she gives this question, which I mean, this is straight off of like the the talking points memo or Daily Coast or I don't know which of those sites is closed. One of them has. But, you know, one of these left wing sites, you know, the the nation, which is so woke over at the nation dot com that that digital commie dumping site. Uh, here, here you go. Here, here's the next question. You know, she's going to ask. He was safe. Did you th- put uh, any consideration into allowing him to walk home to his sister's house? I mean, you had the guy's car, you had his car keys, you knew his name, you presumably saw his license. I mean, you could follow up. Was there any consideration giving him, given to allowing him to go home and then pursuing him later? Why don't you just let him go? Was there any consideration just letting him go? He was drunk driving and on parole. That's why they don't just let him go. People die from drunk driving every day in this country. They kill people from drunk driving every day in this country. And now is drunk driving now like not not a big deal. He wasn't even it wasn't like it was a point zero eight 
and you know he was at a you know point zero seven nine or something. The guy was clearly over, clearly. Oh, and and I believe the DA said you know it's just like a little bit drunk. No, he was clearly drunk. You watch the video; doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what street he's on. You want him driving home? But more to the point, do we enforce the law or not? Why didn't you just, hey, Mister Police Officer Katie Terzasing, why didn't you just not enforce the law? Because that's not their job. Very stupid question. Stupid question. We need that Trump drop. Whenever we have MSNBC interviews, we've got to have a stupid question drop from Trump. Uh, but there's one more thing. And this is the other big lie that didn't come across in that clip I played you. But we have three big lies from the D.A. Uh, from the D.A. here, Paul Howard, Fulton County, district attorney, up for reelection, tight race, has some problems, corruption problems, harassment allegations, etc. We were all told in that press conference that the officer here, Officer Brosnan, had turned state's witness. Now, I initially said, look, I mean, I, you know, this guy, the only reason he's doing that is because they're, they're going to try to lock him away for, you know, tr- give him outrageous overcharging. Uh, Andy McCarthy, who wrote a fantastic piece on National Review on this, said it's not even right to call it overcharging. It's just unjust. I mean, they're, they're just they're making stuff up here to try to get these guys meaning that they're they're conjuring ways to shoehorn even more charges than any reasonable person ever would just to make a point. Uh, But they told us that Officer Brosnan had turned state's evidence. This this was in the press conference. You go back and watch it. That's not true. Charged APD officer did not agree to be state's uh, state's witness in the Richard Brooks case. This is the CBS affiliate down in Atlanta. I mean, this is stunning. Officer Brosman, quote, according to his attorney, has not agreed to testify. He has not agreed to plead guilty. He honestly told the DA's office everything that happened during a lengthy interview. He will continue to tell the DA or the GBI or any other investigator what happened. But he is not absolutely not guilty of any crime and will not plead guilty and has not agreed to be a state's witness. That's a bombshell. I mean, that's. How does the DA get that wrong? That's not, so, that's not a detail you get wrong. That's a detail you lie about. That's something that you rush out there to tell people to create a perception to add to pressure to get a certain outcome. That's not a mistake. That's not something that just happens. There's absolute clarity in this. Understand that there would have been negotiations with the lawyer. They would have wanted something in writing. But this was all rushed through as fast as possible. This is all politics. I'm going to tell you something right now. Officer Brosnan is very likely. I mean, first of all, if I'm him, I'm assuming if they if they try to bring charges against him, because he's now saying he's not. And doesn't that also make more sense now? So because you were thinking, wow, we were told that they kicked Brooks stood on him, uh, were showing a lack of respect for his human life for other reasons, as the D.A. was was alluding to after they shot him, didn't give him aid. The here's what we had that we could all see what led up to the incident. The cops were perfect. Okay, what led up to the Rayshard Brooks broke the law, was on parole for other crimes, got a seven year sentence for Uh, violent domestic abuse, including against children, only served a year because everyone's in prison forever for just having one, you know, one joint on them, one marijuana cigarette. Right. That's what we're always told. Oh, somebody had a dime bag on them and they got 20 years. That's not what happens. 
I'm not saying it never happens, but that's not what's happening in the prison system. Uh, the so so he so the lead up to the violent exchange, the officers are in the clear. The violent exchange itself, I think the officers have a very strong defense. So what does this guy do? What does the DA do in order to really stack the deck against them? Creates this whole narrative after the shooting to suggest that these guys, because otherwise, why, why, where's the motive here? These two cops, what, they, they just decided they're going to put their own lives in jeopardy, probably ruin their lives, even if they end up being found not guilty of all charges, I would note. I mean, these guys are never going to be able to go back to their old life. They, they wanted to kill this guy because of racial animus. Is that what we're supposed to believe? That they just decided, yeah, we're going to kill this guy. We don't like him because we're racists. That, that is what, that is the implication of all the different assertions and the BLM movement out there and the racist cops and we demand justice. Otherwise, this was just a very unfortunate series of incidents instigated by the suspect, Rayshard Brooks, for which he is ultimately responsible. Now, that doesn't mean that the man should have died but it also means that the people that were defending themselves, in this case, these law enforcement officers, are not criminally responsible. That's what it, that is what it means. But there was this whole narrative creation after the incident. Stood on him, kicked him, showed indifference to him, did not give him aid. And one cop had already turned on the other. You turn on your partner, whew, that's going to be a very tough case. Think about how much our perception. None of that's true. None of that's you think the defense attorney is going to go out there and say, oh, it's all on video, folks. No one's no one's asking you to take the, the guy's word for it. And, and now I think about the relationship. Now the district attorney is going to say, hey, I know we lied about you turning state's evidence against against your partner. But, you know, how about we do that now? Of course not. Of course not. Why didn't he wait for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation which is supposed to look at exactly this kind of conduct to conduct their investigation. And they didn't even get a heads up about the press conference. He rammed this through as fast as he could to get what he wanted here. This is Mike Nifong going after the Duke lacrosse kids all over again. Remember that case? Nifong just kept pushing it, went with it, didn't do any due diligence, didn't care that the, accu- uh, the, the accuser, who went on to kill a man with a knife, by the way, and they never charged her with a criminal false complaint. Maybe they should have. Crystal Mangum was her name. I still remember this case very well. The Duke lacrosse kids were accused of this vicious gang rape of an exotic dancer at a party. All a lie. All a lie. She's accusing. They only use Duke lacrosse kids in the lineup. So, of course, they're going to get a Duke lacrosse. I mean, this, the whole thing was a scam, a sham. One of, the, one of the kids that she claims is raping her, they have on an ATM camera three miles away when it's supposed to be happening. Had left, had, was on his way home, was getting money, nothing to do with it. But Mike Nifong, a white Democrat prosecutor in Durham, North Carolina, decided that he was going to just, he could finish off these kids. He could... Uh, Mike Flynn him, if you would. You know, what they've done to Mike Flynn, General Flynn. Put so much pressure so early on that you have no choice but to just break and allow them to get away with it because you're terrified and there's so much happening. They're coming at you with, with everything they've got before you can even pull together a defense. And it becomes, do you want your life to be 
uh, ruined or do you want your life to end effectively? That's what's happening to this cop. This is a grotesque injustice. And you'll see. Let's see who has real has real backbone on this one, because there's going to be a lot of heat over this case. And I'm seeing a lot of Republicans that have gotten weak very quickly. You know, there are people out there. There are people out there who were very opposed to Trump, maybe even called Trump an idiot on their radio show, uh, which some of us never forget. And there are people out there who said stuff like that and then just just rode that Trump train as hard as they could. As long as Trump was delivering victories, they want to be on the winning team, right? Oh, yeah. Now things are tough. Now the polls are going against them. Now the political pressure is intense. People are getting deplatformed, getting canceled, getting fired, getting threatened in ways they haven't seen in a long time. Who is standing tall? Who is standing with their shield high? Pay very close attention to it, my friends, because those are the people you should be supporting and those are the people you should be listening to. Not those who are the fair weather wartime conservatives or just not wartime conservatives at all. Because right now we are in an ideological war and our justice system is a front line of this battle. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just as we thought they would, the protesters, the domestic terrorists of Antifa, the left wing lunatics, they have come for the founding fathers as expected, as as predicted, including here on this show. I told you it would happen. Protesters in Port, uh, Portland, this is from my friend Raheem Kassam, lit a U.S. flag on fire and draped it around a George Washington statue that they later pulled down entirely. On the side of the fallen statue, they scrawled 1619, which is the name of the New York Times project to cancel 1776 as America's founding. Oh, that's right. The 1619 project full of historical inaccuracies, a total misrepresentation of U.S. history, but meant to undermine the entire American project and have it remade, remade in the image of wokeness and social justice, whatever that means. Marxism, really. These are Marxists. We are in the midst of a Marxist revolution, my friends. Just remember that they won't call it Marxism. That's what's happening. That is the end goal that they seek, a society in which the only way to achieve true equality is to make people unequal by law, but put the enlightened, the enlightened elites at the very top of the pyramid to determine who gets what and when. Doesn't that sound a bit like Marxism to you? Yes, it does. Yes, it does indeed. Uh, but they came for Washington, just as we knew they would. And this is why to cave to the mob on these issues, as I've said to you, I, I, I can't have an issue with a community deciding that they want to uh, in, in a fashion that is within order and the rule of law, change a statue, remove a statue. You know, I'm not the statue police, but also I don't believe in people taking it upon themselves because they're angry to destroy public property, whether it's writing BLM on federal buildings in D.C. with graffiti or destroying statues that have sat there for a very long time. George Washington statue getting pulled down. Do you think that this will be discussed in any detail on on CNN tonight? Do you think that the uh, New York Times and, and other major lib outlets? Remember, the New York Times is there is providing the rallying cry for these rioting maniacs. 
Does anyone think that the Times would cover this on their front page? It's not on it right now. Tensions grow over masks in the U.S. Ah, that's right. Masks. You know why? Because masks are being used as a political tool and a tool of suppression. There are so many places in the country where masks are unnecessary, including anywhere outdoors. But now there's this fight, and we'll return to this. The the lockdown 2.0 fight is upon us. Just as the election season is really kicking into gear, just as Trump is going to start rallies, just as all this is happening, we're hearing about coronavirus again. Did we hear much about coronavirus while there were thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of protesters, looters, rioters, and assorted maniacs on the streets chanting for an end to policing, defund the cops? No, no. Coronavirus went on holiday, it seems, during that. Coronavirus got scared of the protesters. It must have been hiding somewhere. Here we are now, as as expected, seeing the return of the coronavirus pandemic panic. Right when it is most useful for the Democrats and when there all the lessons that we've been able to learn the last month or two based on the data that we've seen, that it is overwhelmingly only a risk to a certain set of the population, people that are over 70, everyone else is at a relatively low risk. We don't even know if we're ever going to get a vaccine, folks. What are we going to do? Live in terror forever? We're all going to walk around with masks on constantly. We're going to sleep with them, shower with them. We're going to do all this crazy crap because the libs demand it? No. Nope. Not on my watch. So here we are now uh, with the statues of the founders going. Why would they stop at the statues? They're not going to. But this is a reminder that those who are believing concessions should be made, let's sign, I'm going to say it, let's sign an executive order on policing. Let's have Republicans put forward a police reform bill. No, that's not what they should have done. That was the wrong move, the wrong approach. In response to what's going on here, Republicans should have said, you know what, we're going to have hearings to talk about the destruction of communities, what the looting and rioting has done to small businesses, particularly in minority neighborhoods. Let's have hearings about what this means long term for real estate values and the school system in these areas. It's going to help. Is it going to hurt? We have 40 plus million Americans out of jobs, and a lot of them haven't yet figured out that they're not going back to their job because it's not going to be there. As long as these different restrictions are in place, the old economic models that these businesses relied on aren't functioning, will not function. So we're going to have mass unemployment. We have an economy that has to get up and running, or we're going to have even more civil unrest. And there are maniacs who are focusing on tearing down statues. They're going to tear down a Washington statue. Guess what? They're going to have to rename Washington, D.C. next. If you think they won't try, and Washington State, and Washington University, all of it. They're trying to erase our history, my friends. That's what's happening. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about the machinery, the anatomy, if you will, of cancel culture. What does it actually look like when it happens to a person who isn't uh, famous, isn't well-known, isn't in the public sphere at all? How do you get canceled when you're just a person going about his or her life, not thinking about the political fights that are going on around us all the time. You see, the woke mob doesn't care if you're just a normal person going about your life. It won't save you to stay off social media. 
or hide your politics. On the contrary, the mob takes a particular pleasure in crushing private citizens for whatever offense it can, real or imagined. You see, if they come after me or if they come after another conservative in the media, sure, it has the effect of trying to silence someone with a platform, silence someone who speaks to hundreds of thousands or sometimes even millions of people across the country. But if they can silence and destroy a person who is just a person, that sends a signal to everybody. You think you're safe? You're not. Bend the knee now. Get ahead of this. Bend the knee before we come looking for you. And this is an unbelievable story of this in uh, the Washington Post. I mentioned it on the show yesterday. I wanted to spend some time on it today because this is truly, truly stunning. Uh, because the way that it's all set up, too, I mean, this is, this is a heroes and villains tale. And it goes like this. Back in October of 2018, oh, I mentioned to you I had a friend at this party he, he didn't really, he didn't see the offending costume. He said there are a lot of people there. He wasn't there long, and I, I couldn't get any. I was hoping to get some really, you know, juicy details from the event from him, but uh, there were none. Uh, he didn't, he said he came and left, and he's, he's a secret conservative, so he just doesn't, he, and this party was full of the elite uh, literati and twitterati of D.C. liberal society. So Tom Tolles, and he's this is remember this is a big Washington Post piece over a thousand words written on this big Washington Post piece. Tom Tolles had a Halloween party two years ago. A lot of people were there from the what is described here as the an eclectic mix of journalists and political types from Washington's power elite, but also artists and musicians jammed into small rooms and sprawled across the backyard, dancing, uh, dancing and gossiping, checking out the crowd to see who has the most inventive and outrageous costumes. Uh, so someone came as the Mueller witch hunt. Someone else came as Justice Kavanaugh. I'd make, I mean, I could, I could obviously pull off Kavanaugh pretty easily just because, you know, the guy's got good hair. But the problem at this party and remember we are now this is in the second most beloved liberal left-wing newspaper in the united states but we are now uh talking about this even though it happened two years ago and was really dealt with at the time so a middle-aged white woman named sue schaefer wore a business suit with a name tag that said hello my name is megan kelly and blackened her face with makeup. This being a reference to the Megyn Kelly incident where she said that when she was younger, she just said that when she was younger, people would sometimes put dark makeup on their faces if they were doing a character, right? And she meant that little kids would do this. And NBC basically fired her over that. Like they pushed her out over that remark. So and of course, the libs, you know, Megyn Kelly learned a lesson, one that I already I would tell anybody. Once you've been on the right, you will never be accepted fully on the left. And NBC News is leftist. They they, sure they put this all. Oh, look at us. Like we're just a national brand. And sometimes we talk about how to make the best, how to make the best, you know, chicken piccata. And then the neck and then a moment later, we've got serious journos asking the real questions. And then we're back to making chicken piccata. 
uh, these morning shows, this whole morning show culture. You know, people just blah, they put, put, turn it on. I'm watching NBC. It's kind of boring, but there's nothing else to watch. So they just watch it anyway. So this woman showed up dressed as Megyn Kelly. Not funny. Megyn Kelly learned a lesson that you'll never be accepted by the left. And I actually think Megyn is talented and should make a, a, a big comeback now. I'm hoping she does. But and anyway, uh, and she was uh, approached by two women at the party. Uh, one, Lexi Gru- uh, Gruber and Lyric Prince. One is uh, Latina and the other is African-American. And they approached her and said, can't you see how somebody would find this offensive? And Miss Sue Schaefer left the party in tears and humiliated, recognizing that what she thought, because when she was confronted, she initially, according to the story, said, I'm Megyn Kelly. It's funny. What she thought was funny uh, was not accepted as funny at all. And people approached her. She left the party crying and humiliated. She's a middle aged woman and probably, you know, you'd expect that she'd know better and everything else. But. It's an embarrassing thing. Look, this is at a party. People are trying to be funny. They're trying to be provocative. It was a dumb move. But humiliated, crying, left. Not a public figure. This is not somebody with a platform. This is just a a government contractor. And D.C. is full of these government contractors. You know, they they pull you in with the siren song of uh, making a little more money than you will in the government early on. And then a lot of people end up realizing, so I'm just kind of doing government work without actually even really being a part of the government mission. I don't know if this is worth it, but anyway, conversation we can have another time. Uh, But she was a government contractor, and guess what? The two women who approached her, the two minority females who approached her at this party in 2018, okay, so two years ago, uh, they decided, or one of them, I should say, decided to reach out to Tolls, the guy who threw the party, whom she has never met, and and wrote this, quote, In 2018, I attended a Halloween party at your home. I understand that you are not responsible for the behavior of your guests, but at that party, a woman was in blackface. Uh, She harassed me and my friend, the only two women of color, and it was clear she made her racist costume with, or her costume racist with intent. Uh, Tolls told the, I'm sorry, Gruber, a 27-year-old management consultant, so she's one of the women complaining here, one of the minority females, told Tolls the incident had weighed heavily on her heart. It was abhorrent and egregious and asked for him to identify the woman. And she said that I wanted to know who this woman was. After the killing of George Floyd and the protests, I began reflecting more on this incident. Oh, so here's how this goes down. She emails the guy who threw a party two years ago who has no control over even not even just what costumes people wear, but people bring friends or friends or friends to this. And D.C. is a kind of, you know, relatively, especially these circles, tight knit community that way. People just will bring people to a party. And uh, he is approached by a woman now via on email saying, tell me who wore the blackface costume and mentions as well here that there was a that she felt there was a collective responsibility. So everybody who's at this here, here you go. She wrote when it becomes uh, public, it will be too much of a punishment. She said it's unfair to go back and attack some clueless women because she's not a public person and she was punished then. But uh, by Lexi, who people chastise her afterward by Tom. 
right? So she was already like called out, humiliated, cried, left the party. But on the other hand, people need to be held up as an example of the lines we're going to draw about what's acceptable behavior. Every single person at that party should have said something to her. There's culpability all around. This is all in the Washington Post piece. So two women have decided because of the conversations around George Floyd's killing, of course, that this has something to do with that. You know, everyone is now, you know, scrambling for their narrative of how they're a civil rights hero. Right. They're pushing the narrative of Black Lives Matter in ways that will bring about substantive change. So she says, you know, we shouldn't go after this woman and destroy her whole life and get her written about in a national newspaper as a racist. But it's really important we make examples of people, so we're going to do just that. So they did. So they did. Um, and it's just stunning. It's just stunning. They wanted to go after this person. They wanted to find this private person and... Uh, it's just amazing, amazing to me. So there they decided. They decided that they were going to make an example of this woman and they did. And she got fired. Got fired. And the post editorial and opinion pages. Uh, sorry, Toll's boss, post editorial page editor. Fred Hyatt said, blackface is abhorrent. I know Tom feels the same way. I know he wishes he had made that clear to the person who came to his party wearing an offensive costume. I'm glad he has apologized. Uh, you know, folks, the point is here. These women decided to be additionally offended two years later and wanted, like, to get somebody and be hero. There's a big post, a big uh, picture of them on the Washington Post. Oh, look at these ladies speaking up for injustice. You know, the whole, the whole thing um, resurfaces amid protests. No, no, no. These women decided to resurface it. It didn't resurface on its own. They figured, hey, how can we be part of the cancel culture wave right now and get somebody make an example of somebody here? Remember that woman two years ago wore that thing at the party left in tears because everyone's like, why are you such an idiot? Get out of here. Let's. Have a national news story written about her to ruin her life. Let's do that. But let's pretend that we don't want to do that because that's really mean and, and unnecessary and lacking in grace and forgiveness and decency. But let's do it anyway, because this is really important. Issues of race right now are too important to not ruin this stranger's life. That's what they did. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Look, she was already humiliated, confronted, apologized. You know, she showed bad judgment. We get it. You're going to bring this up again? Again? Oh, that's right. But now, now you see um, when... Oh, and she went into... You know, she, when it came up with her employer, they fired her right away, of course. Fired her right away. And she, remember, Schaefer, the woman who wore the blackface Megyn Kelly costume, is a staunch opponent of President Trump. Hates Trump. She's a lib. Oh, you mean the libs will come for their own if it adds to the self-righteousness and sanctimony of other libs? Yes. Yes, they will. They will. Um, this is this is so, so sad that people could so lose their sense of, of humanity and decency 
Um, it's so it's so troubling. You know, I, I always remember I'm going to tell you a quick story, a little departure from this. There was a radio host years ago. It's not Glenn Beck, who was my boss at the time. But there was an, a fellow radio host years ago uh, who just we had developed a rapport and he sent me an email that was kind of a fired off late in the night email and just going after people in the media business. And I, I don't I This came out of nowhere, came in media business and saying things. And I'm like, this guy, if the people that he's that he's I mean, calling them all kinds of stuff that I can't repeat on the radio. If this ever got out, I mean, this guy, I don't know if he's ever going to like work again. And I remember being being kind of pleased with myself or feeling like, well, I'm glad that he knows you enough to know that I read it. I deleted it and never thought of it again. Never even occurred to me to try to use this for political advantage because I'm an honorable person and someone comes to me in confidence. Someone comes to me and I didn't ask him. He didn't say, hey, don't ever tell anybody about that. He just fired off this email to me. I would never in a million years use that against somebody. Someone who trusts me is always going to feel like they've made a good decision. And that's just that's you won't even say that's my brand. That's who I am as a person. We all have our ways of being honorable and decent to each other. We also have the ability to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to help them out, to make sure that we're not a part of the mob, and we're also just not a part of the, the dirty tricks, behind-the-scenes, backstabbing, ugly, you know, lying about somebody on your radio show because you're terrified that they're actually better than you at this. Like, you don't want to be a part of that world. You know, you don't want to be that person. And you also don't want to be the person who thinks, how can I elevate myself in this moment of of really moral panic across the country over race relations and wokeness and all this stuff? Let's find somebody and ruin that person's life. So we feel like we've advanced the conversation to the two people who outed this woman and pushed this story, which is written up in the Washington Post. Now, this woman cannot get she is she is anathema. I don't think she'll ever be able to go to a party in D.C. again without, you know, it's going to be really tough for her to the two people that, that push this story. They feel good about themselves and also recognize that this doesn't do anything good for anybody. They didn't they're not confronting something that wasn't confronted. They're not they're not making someone learn a lesson that wasn't learned. They're just you know what? We want to get somebody because people are getting got right now. So we want to get somebody. So that's what they did. So that's what they did. This is cancel culture at its worst. This woman lost her job, lost her reputation. I mean, I'm I'm worried about her. I don't even know her. I'm worried about this person and and her future. Um, Does the Washington Post feel good about this? Do they think that they're exercising good judgment? This is just trying to keep order within the ranks, my friends. Letting the leftists know, hey, it's okay as long as you're riding with us here. But the moment that you step out of line, we'll crush you too. So when we say cancel those conservatives and get after them and be vicious to them, you better do it or else. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, and there's another case of cancellation that I think you should know about. In case you're wondering whether the situation of Officer Rolf's prosecution is just being pushed by politics, and there's nothing about this that's going to be fair or decent. Um, 
a company called Equity Prime Mortgage has fired Rolf's stepmother. They put out a statement. Now, so this is the officer who shot Rayshard Brooks and is facing a death penalty charge. All of a sudden, his stepmother gets fired from some corporate entity. As an employer, it's imperative, blah, blah, safe environment. Melissa Rolf's termination was a direct result of her actions in the workplace and violation of company policy. As an HR director, she ultimately lost the confidence of her peers and many employees who no longer felt comfortable engaging with her. We value diversity of thought and respect her personal views. When those views create a hostile working environment, we must make decisions to part ways. Does anyone really think that she did anything right? I mean, we're not idiots. Does anyone, does anyone really think that she violated any company policy? Nope. But this mortgage company was like, guess what? You're uh, a familial relation of Officer Rolf, who right now we're all supposed to believe is worse than Adolf Hitler, even though he didn't break any laws, in my opinion, and the trial will show that. Um, you're fired. You're gone. So now they're going to come after. This is a very important and very insidious message. They're going to come after your family now, too. That's right. They're going to come after your family after you get canceled. So it's not, you know, this is like the way the cartels threaten people. They won't just take you out. They'll take out everybody you love. That's what cancel culture is now with their cancellations. It's not just if you get on the wrong side of us, you're done. It's everybody you've ever known and loved could be done, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. When is a rope hanging from a tree a symbol of terror? And when is it actually just a rope hanging from a tree? I know it sounds like a strange philosophical question, but it's not. It's one that we're going to have to confront as a society because there are a series of reports out there that have turned into national news stories about nooses mysteriously appearing in public in different places. Um, They have uh, at least two cases of this this week. Uh, We have one that is supposed to be a noose at Marcus Garvey Park here in New York hanging from the Watchtower. The NYPD hate crime unit is investigating this. Um, The park staff took this down uh, and they're, they're investigating this as aggravated harassment and a Class E felony. So a rope that has a loop at the bottom from a watchtower here is being investigated as a hate crime. Now, this one, I, I suppose, you know, I'm going to follow up on this story. Maybe somebody, uh, maybe somebody, but think about this. Who, who would go and do this? There have been numerous cases in the past of people who were trying to raise awareness about racism, including a professor at a university, very famously, who put a noose on his own door. And you think of this, Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem. Who is going to go into Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem and put up a noose as a means of trying to terrify the community? Keep in mind, if you are seen doing this, you're committing a felony and you're also in what is a an overwhelmingly African-American neighborhood of New York City. So, you know, think of who's really going to take who's really going to do that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but remember when we had Jussie Smollett 
with a noose around his neck on the south side of Chicago. And everyone who listened to that story, two guys in MAGA hats, and they were carrying a noose at 1 or 2 a.m. on a freezing cold night in Chicago, just happened to find uh, uh, gay black actor Jussie Smollett to engage in a hate crime attack against him. No intelligent person believed that that was a true story. And I, go back and listen, was saying he was lying, lying, lying all along. And I had blue checks coming after me. You don't understand the history of racism and oppression. I said, no, I understand the history of racism and oppression. This just isn't it. This guy's lying, obviously. And he was. Is this new, say, hate crime in, in uh, this park in Harlem? Maybe. Is it a raising awareness, self-inflicted hate crime in that someone does this so that everyone goes, oh, my gosh, there are hate crimes occurring. We need to talk more about hate crimes. That has happened. Hate crime hoaxes many times in the past. I'll also note that if you were really trying to be uh, offensive and frightening, there are much more prominent ways to display a news. I'm just saying, I mean, if you're if somebody had the mindset, who would really do this? Some neo-Nazi uh, would would go up into Harlem and put a noose up on a tower. And if this person was seen doing it, um, not only would they possibly be arrested, but uh, you would be taking your life in your own hands to go do this. So I'm I'm suspect. We don't know. Another noose case, though, in Oakland, which prompted a hate crime investigation and all kinds of of people being uh, people being upset all over the place. And here's what happened. The mayor, Libby Schaff, I believe is the same mayor who also tipped off illegal aliens to an upcoming ICE raid. Remember that? I think that's the same mayor. Uh, She said that there was a noose at the city's popular Lake Merritt. In fact, there were five nooses. And uh, the city officials were investigating this as a hate crime. And uh, turns out that these were just ropes attached to a tree that a black man was using for exercise purposes. He's come forward and said this. He was using these for exercise purposes in the park. And uh, there had been a piece of plastic pipe attached to one of the ropes. So basically, this guy had set up like some swings, some levers and pulleys for workout purposes on a tree. And he said... Quote, this is Victor Sengbe, who's come forward, who said that these ropes were part of a rigging that he and his friends used as part of a larger swing system. And he even shared a video of them in use. He said, remember, this man is black and has come forward and said, no, no, these are my ropes. They're not nooses. This is not a hate crime. Out of the dozen and hundreds of thousands of people that walk by, no one has thought that it looked anywhere close To a noose. Folks have used it for exercise. It was really a fun addition to the park that we tried to create. It's unfortunate that a genuine gesture of just wanting to have a good time got misinterpreted into something so heinous. The mayor jumps in here. So now we know that this is absolutely positively in no way. Not only was this not intended to be a noose hanging from a tree. But it didn't even look like a noose. It was some ropes, plural, that did not have a noose, 
And, uh, you know, it's a very specific thing. A noose is for hanging. We all understand what the visualization of it would be. They're just ropes attached to a tree. So rope attached to a tree is a symbol of terror and requires a hate crime, a hate crime investigation now. The mayor here has said that, quote, officials must start with the assumption that these are hate crimes. And the mayor and Nicholas Williams, the city's director of parks and recreation, this is all on ABC News, said it didn't matter whether the ropes were meant to send a racist message. Intentions don't matter when it comes to terrorizing the public, Schaaf said. It is incumbent on all of us to know the actual history of racial violence, of terrorism that a noose represents. That symbol of a rope hanging from a tree is malicious regardless of intent. It's evil and symbolizes hatred. So let's be very clear. They're now reestablishing not just a noose on a tree as a symbol of terror and hate, but a rope or series of ropes with no noose because some people are so hypersensitive right now and are looking for racism everywhere that now they're saying, well, actually, just a rope in a tree, is that's, that's a symbol of hate and terror, and we're going to have to do something about that. And you got to stop and say to yourself, uh, hold on, hold on a second. This is now this is now effectively criminalizing something that no rational person for removing intent from this. That alone is wrong. Right. If someone creates a noose, let's say that or something that looks like a noose to haul up some, uh, you know, some package or something, if they're building a treehouse and they create a noose and then and, and the rope is left behind, you know, and that's not a that's not a hate crime. It's not a and, and not a terror image. But now they're saying, oh, well, intent doesn't matter. And merely ropes and a tree. We should all know the history. This is terrifying to people. So if they're going to redefine things in a way that no sane person would agree with, is a is a rope swing now that, you know, people have set up in countless backyards across America forever. You know, they sit on a little piece of wood, two ropes from the tree. Is that a symbol of terror? If there's no one there to say, oh, no, that's just my swing for my kids and me to have like some nice outdoor time together. If we're going to redefine now just rope and tree equals terror, do we have an outer limit of that? No, no, of course not. Oh, they notified the FBI. And they're conducting a full investigation. They already have a person who came forward who's like, hey, this was just for me to work out with. They're not even nooses. What are you talking about? And by the way, the guy's like, I'm black. That's what he's saying. I mean, he is black, right? But he's come forward and taken responsibility. And he says, this is what it's for. And they're still investigating. So I just want to know, are they are they continuing the hate crimes investigation of the non nooses hanging from the tree put there by his own admission by a black man in order to work out to see if maybe he's actually a like a secret neo-Nazi who's doing this as part of a some, you know, deep infiltration, false flag maneuver or something. What the heck is wrong with people? Completely insane. This is completely insane. But you're going to see more of this. Oh, my gosh. This is people are look people are looking everywhere for racism. This is starting to feel like during the Salem witch trials, you know, when you had these young girls who come forward. Oh, I saw, you know, I saw her 
you know, and, and, and the way the cat moved near her in the woods, I knew that the cat was a familiar, right? People would, would all start repeating that they had, they were seeing things that were normal, but they were, in, they were suggesting that what they were seeing that was normal must actually be proof that someone was a witch, right? That was a part of the Salem witch trials. Now we're seeing that, that the level of mass hysteria in this country has now reached a point where a rope with a purpose attached to a tree even when the purpose has been described and it does not look anything like a noose is still a weapon of terror against the African-American community that does not take into account the history of discrimination in this country. People are losing their minds, folks. We're not losing our minds here, but people are losing their minds out there. We, we need to help bring them back to reality. We need to get them to take a deep breath and start living in the real world and stop the moral panic and the virtue signaling and the sanctimony. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, so big rally. First real Trump rally of the season is happening this weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have somebody joining us right now to tell us what it's like on the ground there and what we should be expecting this weekend. Uh, We have Erin Perini on the phone. She is the uh, Principal Deputy communi- uh, Communications Director for the Trump campaign. Aaron, th- uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on. Okay, so let's start. The, the, the part of this that's getting the most attention right now, so I want to just lead with it, and you can tell us what's going on. People are concerned. I'm sure the, uh, the anarchist social media channels are full of all kinds of chatter, and there's ec- expectations for a lot of protests. What can you tell us about what the city of Tulsa is going to be able to do to make sure, hey, people have the First Amendment rights, they want to protest, that's fine, but that things don't get out of hand as they've had a uh, tendency to in recent weeks. Well, we have uh, we always work with every municipality and locality we go to for a rally uh, to make sure that people who want to peaceably assemble are able to do so. We This isn't our first time having this kind of situation where people want to voice their other opinion about President Trump. And actually, I was walking the line this morning of supporters who are already lined up to see President Trump. And some folks who are at the very front of the line were telling me, yeah, there were some protesters across the street and we went across the street to them and we were talking with them. We made sure they had lunch and some water and, and we just shared our views with them and everybody was really nice. And so, you know, we feel good about our ability to keep our rally goers safe, but also those who want to share a different opinion than the ones of President Trump, if they're able to do so safely as well. Now, how many folks are expected? I saw uh, from the campaign that there were a million requests for tickets. We know that there's no arena in Tulsa that's going to handle a million people. I don't think there's one anywhere uh, in the world that could do that. So how many people are expected to be inside and then outside the rally? And we have to ask, you know, what what are the policies to keep everybody safe in this era of covid? What's what are the recommendations and the procedures that will be in place? So we expect a fully packed arena here in Tulsa. Uh, and so we will also have a large overflow build out like we do for every rally we go to. For folks who can't make it inside, we're going to have a festival-like atmosphere outside. We're going to have a big stage with live bands. We're going to have original online broadcasts. We're going to be doing them live from the stage. So people will be able to see people like Laura Trump and Mercedes Schlapp uh, throughout the day, Katrina Pearson talking about what's going on with the president and the campaign. So we expect a huge crowd outside and a packed arena inside. But health and safety remains a key focus for the president, and that's reflected in his campaign. So we are doing and putting in 
health and safety precautions to make this as safe a rally for our rally goers as we can. We will be doing temperature checks of every individual. And if they don't pass the first time, we will test them again to make sure that they are able to safely come in. We will then be providing hand sanitizer to everybody and having it readily available throughout. And we will be providing masks as well. So if people choose to wear them, they will have them readily available. Everybody will be given one. I don't see any of that in any of these protests that the left-wing media is lauding as so heroic and so brave. We're putting out there important health and safety measures to make sure this is a safe atmosphere for President Trump's supporters. We're speaking to Aaron Perini, who is the... Team Trump, deputy communi- principal deputy communications director about the upcoming rally this weekend. Give us a sense of what the president is going to be addressing, Aaron, and, and how he's going to start to frame the message of why he should get four more years as president. Well, we certainly never want to get ahead of President Trump, but I have a keen feeling that this is going to be a rocket speech from the president. He hasn't been able to give a rally speech in over three months, and so there is a lot of pent-up enthusiasm and a lot of pent-up things for the president to talk about as well as he punches past the fake news. You're going to hear him talk about what a disaster Joe Biden would be for this country. Joe Biden has terrible policies for over 40 years in this country. President Trump in three and a half years has been able to absolutely transform America and make her the greatest nation again. And that's because of his leadership. So you will see a stark contrast between the president and Joe Biden. You'll hear about all the great work that was being done, what America is doing to fight the coronavirus, and how together with four more years, we will secure America's greatness under President Trump. And Aaron, what can you tell us about the the upcoming rallies? How many are already planned? Are any going to be added what would it take to get you guys to swing through New York City? We could use some help here. I know that's probably not going to happen, but <laughs> tell us about uh, what else is coming up on the schedule. Well, we will be announcing some things, hopefully, in the near future of events that we have coming up. The vice president is going to be in Wisconsin next week for a Faith in America event, another one of our great events uh, as we get back out there and start to uh, begin events again in person on the other side of the coronavirus. You will see us out there throughout the country, not only campaigning in person, but holding events with our top people, including the vice president and the family throughout the country. And of course, these signature MAGA rallies, there's nothing like a Trump rally. And so we are excited to be able to get more locked into the book, locked onto the calendar and be out there on the road with President Trump supporters. All right. Aaron Perini of the Trump campaign. Thank you so much for joining us. giving us a preview. We appreciate it. Have Have a great rally. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's Friday. Want to bring on as many of our good buddies as I can to kick you off right for the weekend. We have Ryan Gerderski in the house. I hope I said his name right. It's not an easy one. I know his name's Ryan, though, so we got that going for us, which is nice. He's the author of a new book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution, a very timely title. Mr. Gudersky, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Why aren't they listening? Who's not listening? What do we need to know? 
Okay, so the book basically, after the 2016 election, a lot of people sat there and said, um, in Trump and Brexit, it's just a bunch of old white reactionaries. They'll die off. Don't worry, ignore them. And it's just really focused in these dying working class towns. And really what I did and my co-author Holland Hill did was we sat there and we analyzed it from a global perspective. National populist parties and politicians are being elected across the globe on every continent, all six of them. And uh, we track the reasons why this is happening and how it's happening, the issues like immigration and trade on foreign policy and um, uh, income inequality, things like that. What's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening, and where it's going. Okay, well, tell us some of those things, my friend. Uh, the, you know, the, the floor is yours. Like, <laughs> okay. what, like what, what are the things? I mean, you, you, you've outlined what the broad forces are, but uh, l- let's start with here in America. Why is, why is there a populist movement that perhaps Trump in many ways encapsulates, but I think also stretches beyond Trump. Yeah, it definitely stretches beyond Trump. And you see it right now in in, in the rhetoric of Josh Hawley and uh, Jim Banks and Marco Rubio, how Marco Rubio has changed a lot. Um, all these people are starting to move towards this, whether they like it or not. The kind of the train has left the station and really the party of Dick Cheney and John McCain is over um, or it's dying. Maybe it's not over completely. Um, but but the big uh, the big seminal issue more than anything is immigration. It is the biggest focus of the book. And it's based on four different things. One is illegal immigration, which tells people that a state cannot function if they cannot control their borders. The secondly is, and secondly is legal immigration. And legal immigration breaks down to three different topics: crime, a culture, and a, the economy and and the welfare state. And basically, um, and basically, those three things are the reason why Donald Trump got elected. People sat there. A, a large enough percentage of working class Americans of both white and black sat there and said white, black, Hispanic sat there and said they don't recognize their own country anymore. And part of that is mass immigration. There's been many, many, many studies done at this point. They're cited in this book. They're not listening. How they least created the national populist revolution. They, that, when mass immigration happens, when there's too much diversity and it happens too quickly, people don't only not trust people who look like them, but they trust people who, sorry, not trust people who don't look like them, but they also don't trust people who look like them. Social trust completely collapses because of mass immigration and diversity. And actually, they don't, they don't invest in institutions anymore either. So that is why it's been this eroding of society. Now, what is the generation that is the least trusting of any and least involved in institution of any? Generation Z, the most diverse, the most impacted by mass immigration. So this was the number one thing more than anything else that really affected why Donald Trump became president and why we are having a surge of national populist um, ideas, at least in the Republican Party right now. A lot of the and we're speaking to Ryan Guderski. He's got a new book out. They're not listening. How the elites created the national populist revolution. Uh, Ryan, a lot of, you know, the the talking points around why the right is bad or why conservatives, the Republican Party is bad, is that we are the the party of corporations. And I always think this is so interesting because if you see what has happened in the country right now, all of the top, I mean, the most powerful and active activist corporations are are really left and in some cases pretty hard left in terms of their politics, their leadership and the way that they view the world, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, you know, you, these are co- these are companies that have bankrolls similar to what national economies do in, in pretty good sized countries. And they all have the woke politics of the left. So how does populism mesh with deal with oppose corporatism? And has there been a shift from capitalism equals the free market equals good for conservatives to 
maybe corporations do need to be thought about differently. Yeah, there absolutely has. I mean, just look at the idea of breaking up Google. That is a conversation that both Elizabeth Warren and Josh Hawley were having. Um, and if you look at national populist leaders around the globe, including in America, the they are not free market ideologues. They are not. They break up this, you know, the Ronald Reagan's Republican three-legged stool. They don't believe that, you know, taxation is just theft. They don't sit there and say what well, is good for the bottom line of the GDP of the country um, is good for everybody, and that what's good for these multinational corporations is good for the worker. No, they are much more a workers' party, and they sit there and they pay attention to the workers, and and we're seeing. Even, you know, there's a comic, a libertarian comic who's very funny named Dave Smith, who sat there and said, um, wow, Tucker Carlson is losing um, uh, advertisers and he's the number one show in America. Maybe the economy isn't everything. Maybe it's partly the culture. And I think that everyone's kind of waking up to now as these big tech organizations and big media and big corporations sit there and they kind of shove wokeism down everyone's throats, whether they like it or not. You'll be fired if you your, your life will be destroyed if you don't if you don't sit there and subscribe to wokeism. And and there's also a phenomenon that I think conservatives have become and, and, and really anyone who's center to center right or just in the center all the way over to the right. Anyone can understand that this exists where, you know, if you turn on NBC News or even MSNBC or CNN, they are a they are every bit as political and as hardline in their beliefs as anything that you would see on Fox News. And yet there's never any fear. Rachel Maddow never has advertiser flight, even when she does things like pretends that she has Trump's tax returns when she really only has like a Xerox page that nobody <laughs> cares about. Right. Like she ne- like there's never even a hint that that's going to happen. You turn on basically the question I pose to you is why is it that MSNBC will have Mercedes Benz, BMW, you know, uh, Coca-Cola? I mean, the biggest advertisers in the world. And on Fox, you know, you're you're getting a different kind. I'm not going to you know, I don't want to I'm not trying to bash. I love the Fox advertisers, but you get a different tier in terms of the overall money spent and corporate reach yeah, of advertising. You have my pillow. Yeah, you have my pillow. I mean, yeah, yeah, part of it is the reason that that liberals and conservatives are different. We don't sit there and aggressively push with our pocketbooks and we don't. And also there's. There is a movement to get progressives on boards of companies. It's been this entire thing, and it's maybe something I will work for an article about later on, but there is a push to get progressives on the boards of companies in the way that, you know, the left is very good at moving into into institutions and taking them over. And the right has been terrible at it, from education to the media to the boards of corporations to the military. Now you're starting to see their woke policies. This is broad, and, and they just, the right sits there and either A, surrenders to be popular, or B, has never begun fighting at all. I mean, we did start decades after the left began, so that's part of the reason why we're so behind the ball. But that is that is, that is is a big deal, is, is how they've moved through the institutions one after the other. And that's why we're seeing, like, you know, it's okay. These art institutions are saying, yeah, behead, behead Columbus statues or get rid of Abraham Lincoln statues or get rid of art. Art doesn't mean anything anymore. They've destroyed these institutions, and so we are we are in you know as I said on Tucker Carlson's show the other day we're in Foucault's um, post a post structural society. Everything is viewed from the vantage point of today, and everything is being realigned. And we really need to sit there and re- either a make our own institutions or b retake the institutions that are gone right now. Yeah, I I, I want to d- dig into the 
why do why we don't make more of our own institutions on the right? Because because I think what we've seen and it's really been occurring for the last the last 20 years, in, in my view, is uh, that conservatives, you know, there's I forget who said it, but any institution that's not explicitly conservative will become explicitly left wing. Conservative become. Yes. Yeah, that, that's true. I yeah, mean, no, that that no, has... is true. But also. But yeah. Yeah, but my frustration with that is even like, look at CPAC. I mean, CPAC run by Matt Schlapp, who's the biggest you know hack there is of a person. He sits there and he's getting corporation corporate shills to sit there and and push low low ch- cheap labor and and low skill labor into the country. I mean, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter what's to him whatsoever. And that's an explicitly conservative organization. I think that, you know, people can be bought off by money and there's a lot of money going around. Match Lap is bought off by money. So CPAC hence does not have conversations on immigration anymore. I think that anything is explicitly being able to be bought off so long as the big corporate interests but, really but, care. No, but my, my, my point is so, what, what I meant to get to is just that there is uh, the belief that we can establish a a decent and, and sort of friendly Norm and, and yeah, I mean, I gotta also say, man, that's some pretty rough stuff you're throwing Matt Slap's way. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're the only. Oh, I care. I'm not on his Christmas. I'm not on his Christmas card list. I don't care him and Mercedes, whatever. But they are they're they're hacks. They are political hacks. Oh, they hated man. Donald Trump. The I mean, I, look, I, I I like Matt and I like CPAC. I mean, you're absolutely entitled to your opinion, but I like Matt and I like CPAC. So because I feel like what? I'm okay, not speaking, I'm not speaking for anyone besides myself. No, no, I get that, but but I, I've got to say. Not, I've got to say where I mean, so they're at least see see here. Let me just start put aside the personal issue that they're at least create. There's a place where conservatives can get together and do things that are conservative and draw some attention. What's the secondary option? Like why? I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw I had had a thread recently that that Rush Limbaugh read on his show. And now every people have been emailing me all week and texting me talking about it. Then I'm just like, guys. We need to build our own institutions because if we don't, Google, Facebook, Twitter, they're never going to adjust the terms of service so that we get a fair shake. It's never going to happen. So why don't we all get on board with that mission? Two things. One, Matt Schlapp did not create CPAC. He took it over. And once he took it over, one not a personal thing. This is just him as an institutional thing. Secondly, he's a shill for mass immigration, which is really hurting our country. I mean, that's what he is. He is a corporate lawyer who deals. I do with not like mass immigration, so I don't even know that that's Schlapp. By the way, you might know Schlapp's positions and CPAC's position. I've only been to CPAC once in the last 10 years, so I've, but I'm just... CPAC does not have immigration panels anymore because of Matt Schlapp. They don't talk about immigration anymore, and that is simply because they have... Uh, financial interest that sits there inside. They're being sponsored by freaking big tech now at, 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 at these institutions. I mean, they're selling them out. Sells out. That's my frustration, things like that. But when it comes to, yes, I believe in building our institutions, what you said, I think you're completely right about that. But the other thing that I wish the right did more is I think they, you should, we, we should wield the institutions that we have, the power that we have inside the government while we have the presidency to dismantle these organizations. Ryan. I don't know what happened, but you froze, buddy. Ryan Gurdersky, everybody. They're not listening. People are going to think that this was like a conspiracy. Uh, they're not listening. How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution is the book. Ryan was fired up. You can check out his book. Thanks for joining, Ryan. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, everybody, it's time for us to hear from some of you across the country. Producer Mark, I know you've been hearing all the uh, wonderful voicemail messages. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK if you want to leave one. And uh, Mark, who's up first? 
This is Pat from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hey, Buck, what shield high mean? And second, can you do uh, Elmer Fudd impression? Thanks. Bye. All right. Shields high. That's a very good, very fair question. We get this uh, from time to time. Um, and and it's it's just become something that, well, it started back when I used to do the Saturday show. There was all this ancient history when I started the Buck Sexton show. We would just talk about it. I would discuss ancient Greece from time to time. And one day I was speaking about the phalanx and the military formation of heavily armored Greek warriors that we know as hoplites because of the hoplon shield they carried. And how they had to all stand shoulder to shoulder with shields high to make the phalanx effective, right? You can't have the shield down at waist level or down at your knees. It's got to be shields high. And the Spartans had a saying, come back with your shield or on it, meaning come back in victory or come back dead. Anyway, this was uh, a discussion I had with Team Buck. And, as, and it felt like, especially in those early Saturday days, we were in a phalanx together in the fight, shields high. And it just sort of stuck as a rallying cry for the show. And it's kind of fun to say. And gets people fired up so there you go right it's uh, well like isn't like the producer mark alabama uh university alabama right roll tide right does anyone even know what that means yes they're the crimson tide oh like that kind of makes sense but come on just wow yeah so so there you go that's how we get it and then yeah elmer fudd um isn't that like uh uh no I, i actually i don't even know what elmer fudd sounds like so I'd have to think about that. I, I can't. I can't even hear him in my head. So I can't do an impression. Can, do you know what Elmer Fudd sounds like, producer? Mark? I mean, I know what he sounds like, but I am not trying an impression of that. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. I just want to know if that's something you knew. Um, all right, next voicemail, please. Hi, this is Jane in um, Clifton Park, New York. I am from Miami, Florida, and um, I would I would go back there in a heartbeat to Delray. That is the most fantastic place you could ever live. Nice people, beautiful beaches, really nice people. If you're going to shoot for Florida, try Del Rey. Go for a visit. It's incredible, wonderful. So, okay, guys, shield tie, and uh, you guys are the best. Another another um, vote for Del Rey for Florida. So there you go, producer Mark. It's the best call we've ever had. I mean, did, have you have you ever been to Delray? Yes. Oh, it's I have. great. It's Many times. Great. It's so nice. I used I to live that. in South Florida. Yeah, we got to find out what the station is down there and get them to add, get to, get them to add us to whatever the Delray station is. Um, all right, next voicemail, please. Yeah, hi, Buck and producer Mark. This is John calling from Dover, Delaware, listening to you boys on fourteen ten. W-D-O-D, and I just wanted to let you fellas know that I love the show, and I just wanted to make a comment about the liberals and the way they've acted, you know, these past years since this president has been in office. They act like a bunch of children. They're very immature. I don't know who votes for these people. They've obviously been brainwashed. We need some changes, hopefully a Bill Barr. We'll start getting the gears turning on getting some prosecutions and getting things done. Anyway, thanks a lot for everything you guys do. God bless and shield high. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Calling in from Delaware. Um, nice that we have some uh, Team Buck Delaware getting in the mix. Always appreciate that. Is is uh, 
Barr going to roll with the prosecutions of people from the Trump uh, that, that attacked Trump with the whole Russia collusion? Mueller. Eh. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I don't think so. If you're if you're hoping that there are going to be prosecutions that will bring justice uh, from what happened with the o- Obama, the Obama team beforehand, I'm, I'm just here to tell you that I think that's very unlikely. I think it's very unlikely. I could be wrong. Maybe the Durham probe up in Connecticut has uh, maybe they've got some things planned that I'm not I'm not privy to. But I haven't been wrong about this stuff yet, really. So we'll find out more of the truth of the illegal targeting of Donald Trump and his campaign and how egregious it was and how Obama and Obama's team were pushing this. We're complicit in this. We're directing this in some cases. And we'll know that for sure. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see prosecutions because they'll just say, oh, well, we were just so foolish that we believed all these Russia collusion fairy tales. Sorry, can't throw us in prison because we believed it. And then they acted on it. See, all this starts with if you're so foolish, if you're so um, so dumb, quite honestly, to, to believe that Trump did these things. It's very hard to hold that into account for them, because if you believe it, then sure, you can open an investigation if you work at the FBI. If you believe it, then sure, you're going to write these articles in various newspapers and uh, and put it on TV and all the rest of it. So, yep, all very true. Um, What's next here? Hey, Buck, Eric First Sergeant Vinsel here. U.S. Army combat engineer. Uh, Mark, please press pause one second. Uh, I want to I want to get our friend from the army on, but I, I just realized we're going to run into a break here. I want to hear him in full. So we'll come back on the flip side. Fire the same one. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, producer Mark, we have more voicemails. We have the gentleman, the uh, veteran, who was about to let us know what's up. Hit it. Hey, Buck, retired first Sergeant Vinsel here, U.S. Army combat engineer. Just wanted to uh, say thanks for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. I uh, hope everything turns out all well for not only you guys, but for us as a country. Right now, I'm a little concerned, a little worried, but I still back the police uh, no matter what anybody says. And I think they're doing a good job. Good to them all. See you, Buck. Well, thank you very much, sir, both for your your kind message and also for your service. Um, And I'm concerned, too, but I I take that concern as a reason for us to rally. I take that concern as why we have to stay in the fight. So that's use it to, to motivate you and also to just be a reminder of why we why we all make choices every day that affect not just the reality around us, but what kind of a country we're living in. We all make choices every day. Um, next next uh, voicemail, please. Hey, Buck, this is Frank from Portland, Oregon. Um, you know, I have to contradict you on your statement about having a vote to take down statues uh, for the people that live in the communities, um, because I think there's a lot of people that were in the communities at the time the statues went up. I don't know if they had a chance to uh, voice their opinion whether or not it should have been erected in the first place. Just my thoughts. Thank you. Well, look, uh, in terms of statues and stuff like that, uh, I mean, I think that communities should be able to determine, you know, they should have a process. Here's how I'll say it. If you can put up new statues, you should be able to remove or just move old statues. But there should be an established mechanism 
for doing that. And, uh, you know, that the. Uh, Producer Mark, I mean, what do you think? What, what was I, I kind of missed what, what his broader objection was. He just doesn't like people moving the statues, period. I think he's saying that the people don't vote to put the statues up. So why would they vote to take the statues down? That's fair. Look, that's that's a fair uh, that's a fair point. Um, that's a fair point. So I would just say, you know, how do we get rid of statues? Then when we want to get rid of them, you know, what will we do at that phase? Well, how, how will we uh, be in a position to add statues? And look, I don't even know. I don't know if like I didn't even, be honest with you guys. There are statues that I walk past in Central Park and in my neighborhoods in New York. I don't even know they're there. I mean, I barely even, I don't know. I'm not a big statue guy in general. There are some that I think have, you know, Columbus Circle in New York, for example, is a very large statue of Christopher Columbus. Everyone kind of knows that one. But there are statues all over the city. I don't even know how they got there. And at the city authority. But see, you're going to say, okay, well, the people didn't vote to put it there. Why would they vote to remove it? My response to that would be if people... um, if people remove it, I'm sorry, if the government authorities can put it there, then the government authorities can also take it away. And trust me, my friend, if it's just left to, you know, the uh, the city authorities, uh, cities are all blue. So you're going to see all these statues go everywhere. But look, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion. But just remember that it was never going to be just it was never going to be just the uh, statues. It was never going to be just the ones of Confederate generals. Now they've added to this and you have the founders and so on and so forth. Next voicemail. Hi, producer Mark. This is Cindy from Mount Vernon, Ohio. Buck and you are two of my favorites along with Rush. Just want to tell you what a fantastic job you're doing. I stand for Donald Trump. I stand for America, the Constitution. I'm 64 years old and I will not bend a knee nor cave in to all these entities that want to turn our country upside down. Thank you very much for taking my call. Love you guys. Shields high. Such a nice lady. Thank you so much for calling in and saying nice things about us. We appreciate that. That's a very nice. Um, and to be in the same category as Rush, the greatest radio host of all time, is, uh, or rather to be in your same list as Rush Limbaugh, is very much appreciated. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and let's see what we got here. Next up, um, producer Mark, hit it. Producer Mark and Buck, listening to wartime conservative episode. Uh, listen, the question is, what is the right wing alternative or uh, role that equals community organizer? We are missing a vital link to connect our people to our events. They've been working on their community organizers for 40 years. We have a gap that has to be filled, and it has to be done for us to be available to take action. Shield tie. So it seems like uh, the gentleman is, is saying, why don't we have community organizers the way the left does? And I, I think that's a, it's a fair point. I would just say that the right does not have a culture of of uh, that uh, of the same kind of grassroots mobiliz- mobilization, usually around points of community agitation uh, that that are have to do with inequality, um, economic inequality, racial inequality. We we don't 
we don't have that structure in place. We don't have a history of doing that the same way. And the closest thing I can think of when we're talking about political mass mobilization would be the Tea Party, which did really feel like a it just sort of happened. I mean, it was uh, well, it was Rick Santelli went on a rant on the floor of I think it was the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and said, you know, we should have a Tea Party and fast forward a few months and all of a sudden there are thousands and thousands of people gathering all across the country with uh, Gadsden flags and saying that we need to stop spending all of our future generations money. So there's that. We will uh, keep our focus on it. Any more producer Mark, or is that it for today? One more, one more hit it. Hey Buck and producer Mark. Love the show. This is Eric calling from California. Um, I have a solution that for, for anybody mask shaming or asking me to apologize for the color of my skin which is an old family tradition of just saying, you take care now. Uncle Mark used to do it. He was a little, uh, he, he didn't really like to talk to people much. So if uh, anyone came up to him and tried to spark up a conversation, he would immediately just go with a, you take care now. So that's my answer. Hope you guys are well. Love the show. Shield tie. You take care now, huh? What do you think, Mark? I think it's a non-confrontational way. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, thank you, sir, for calling in from California, Team Buck. We got people from all over the country calling in on this voicemail box, which we really appreciate. Thank you all. Let's get to the written roll call in just a moment. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, if you want to send us your thoughts via text of some kind, not like text messaging us, but if you want to send us your written thoughts, uh, please send it to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And with that, let's get to it in the roll call box. Ryan. Hey, Buck, I was listening to the show the other day and you were talking about New York State and their ludicrous gun laws. I'm a fellow New Yorker and a gun owner. I recently took an interest in obtaining a pistol permit in my county in Schenectady. I have to jump through so many hoops. It's nauseating. Seems kind of crazy. You don't even have to have a photo ID to vote, but you need extensive references, three applications, two notarized letters to the judge and fingerprinting. This is all just to exercise my Second Amendment rights. Just wanted to share my story. Keep up the good work and shields high, my friend. Ryan, thank you so much for writing in. Great to have you listening up in Schenectady. Is that probably is that uh, our WGY affiliate up there, producer Mark? That sounds right. I believe so. That's upstate. Yeah. So, uh. I would say, let me think, I would say, uh, yeah, it's probably just almost as bad for you as it is here in New York City. I was going through in my head the checklist, but that's basically what you have to do in New York. I mean, they make it effectively impossible, and they make the rules so stringent and strict that it's really not possible for, um, it's really not possible for you to do it without a lot of pain and irritation. Kate writes... Hey, Buck, I recently went back to college at 30 years old to pursue my bachelor's in nursing. I'm required to take a sociology class as a prerequisite. Our textbook plainly states that the author supports Karl Marx (laughs) himself. Kate. Oh, welcome back to the Academy, Kate. That sounds about right. As expected, the content has read like a far left indoctrination covering global warming, transgenderism, racism and evil capitalism with strong anti-American, anti-Christian excerpts. I'm disgusted this is being taught at a public institution. 
I will not bend the knee, but I fear the career-related retribution if I formally contest the course. I have no choice but to buckle down through it and hope the instructor cries at night from my well-informed Buck Sexton influence rebuttals to his garbage teaching. Well, Kate, first of all, thank you so much, and I, and I appreciate that we're able to help you with these arguments. I will tell you, because this is the advice I always give to college, uh, to college team Buck when they reach out to me and say, oh, my professor is a crazy lib because they almost all are. You know, I'm going to write a term paper that says that, you know, America's not the worst, most rate. What's up, Mark? Did you say something? I did not. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm hearing I'm hearing producer Mark's voice in my ear. Even when I'm, he's not saying anything. Um, that America's not the worst, most racist, most evil place ever. You know, you look within bounds. Generally, you don't have to actually write that paper, but, you know, you'll have to write papers and things that you're not on board with. I, I do not want you to suffer academic consequences for uh, standing up for your beliefs in a classroom. The public forum is different than a classroom forum. As far as I'm concerned, I want you to get good grades, get the best job you can and be as influential in your career and in your community as you can so that conservatives can win. So and I, I know that's a little there's a little bit of nuance, a little bit of dancing around on that one. But if you can engage, if you think you can engage safely in debate safely in debate with the professor without getting a really bad grade because of it by all means and that's why we're here to give you all the ammunition that you could ever have in a debate on these kinds of topics but i'm telling you if i if you're asking my advice do what you need to do in the classroom to get the grade you need to get to move on to the next place you need to go in life don't because because you uh, you know what you know what it is to write a paper that you know you're and I'm not saying you're doing this Kate you seem like a very savvy lady and we appreciate you listening uh, but if somebody writes a paper that, that that they think they're making some big moral stand with and that the teacher give, just gives them an F the teacher's winning because all that happens is you can now get an F maybe you get an F on your transcript and now when you go forward in life you know when you try to get into a grad school or whatever does anyone remember the the brave stand you took for the founding fathers in that paper or do they they see an f on your transcript i'm i'm a realist folks i'm a realist there's a time for principle there's a time for not bending the knee what you write in the classroom i mean and honestly no one's even gonna remember i mean i don't even i can't even remember any of the things that i was writing in poli sci class back at amherst and i took lots and lots and lots of poli sci classes so what do you think producer mark is that a little too uh a little too nuanced, or does that make sense? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. Yeah. Like, if you were taking grad classes somewhere, right, uh, if you were back in grad school, I would tell you exactly the same thing. You know, if you had to write a, a paper on the origins of, of conservative talk radio, you know, and your professor hated talk radio, I wouldn't be like, you should be writing about how great Buck and Rush are. I'd say, write whatever you got to write to get an A. I don't care. I think I actually wrote a paper about the origins of sports talk radio once. Really? Huh. It's the only paper I remember writing in college. There you have it. Tatiana. Hey, Buck, just want to let you know how much I enjoy your show that I recently discovered by driving home from work in the Twin Cities area. Your insights are brilliant. I love your authenticity and the depth of your analysis. It's the best that I've heard so far on talk shows. I'm getting addicted to your show because you're doing such amazing work. Tatiana, that is the nicest. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me today or written to me today. And it's going to send me into the weekend in a good mood. So thank you for that. We really appreciate that. We work very hard at this show and uh, we do all that we can. Um, so thank you so much. 
And just so you all know, producer Mark is going to be on vacay next weekend. Everything's fine, but producer Mark's going to be off uh, for the week. So you won't be hearing producer Mark on the show, but he's going to be he's fine. Everything's fine. He's just gone for a week and he'll be back in the saddle the following Monday. Pablo. Hey, Buck. I heard a fellow listener having a strong opinion about the NFL and Drew Brees. I feel similarly to that listener, although I believe we differ in reasoning. I'm upset that Drew apologized and what it will cause. If a player like Drew Brees stood his ground, other players could as well. As it stands right now, the national anthem will be played for kneeling and protesting. I personally was very excited for the season until the apology. Now I will spend Sunday going to service and family time. Sounds like a better time. Shields high. Pablo, absolutely. look, if that's how you feel, that's absolutely what you should do. And I'll tell you this, if, they're, if, they're, if all these teams are kneeling during the anthem, you know, it's also kind of weird because if everyone's kneeling during the anthem, are they, is this now a show of respect during, you know, it, it's, it gets kind of, if one person kneels when everyone else is standing, they're clearly trying to make a scene. If everybody kneels, you look at this, you go, well, are they, is it like church? Are they kneeling? You know, you know it's, it's a different, I, I feel like the, the visual, if everyone kneels is very, might change over time where you go, well, if everyone's doing it, is it really even a protest? Like, what are they doing? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but. I think that it doesn't. I think it's when one or two players kneel during the anthem and everyone else is standing to show respect. I'm just saying visually, if everyone kneels, it won't look like that's what you're supposed to do, kind of. So, you know, because that's what you'll see on the field. And you won't see the people in the stands necessarily standing with their hands over their hearts. I I don't know. We'll see how this plays out. But I'll tell you this. If if it bothers me, if I'm watching it and, and they're doing the kneeling. I will not I will watch even fewer NFL games this year than I did last year, which means. No, I think it'll be zero because I think I watched maybe two games last so year. You're so. gonna watch some soccer instead? No, because they're gonna they're taking knee, a knee too, and they. Uh, no, I meant how do you watch less than zero? Oh yeah, no, well no, I watched like two games. Oh, okay, I've got brothers. I've got brothers and a dad who are normal red blooded Americans who like professional sports. So sometimes, so I can so I can have bonding man time with them. I will watch. Yeah, you're the brother that knits the sweater in the corner during the Super Bowl, aren't you? Wow, that's cold. I'm the brother that's here defending freedom on the front lines, preparing talking points to crush the libs. How about that, producer Mark? Yeah, yeah, sure. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Although knitting would be kind of a cool skill. Like, let's let's just be real about this. For you learn how to knit, that would be kind of cool. Sure. Say it. I could never do it. I'm. I, I would get too bored. Until you had that amazing new hat you'd made yourself all right matthew's up next hey buck you and producer mark are doing great things here's the thing about trump our man hasn't been having his rallies he's been getting all the usual hate and then some without getting the love once the rallies are back in action he will return to form keep it up buck shields high matthew i certainly hope so i love where your head's at on this one and i think you may be right so this might be the missing piece for Trump, getting back out there, feeling those, feeling the energy at those rallies, seeing the Trump supporters. It's going to energize this man and help him go on to win four more years. Everybody, have a great weekend. Thank you for being here every day. It is an honor, and I do appreciate it so much. I'll be talking to all of you Monday. Shields high.